the explosive new film, Flynn, Deliver the Truth, Whatever the Cost, exposes secrets behind the government's takedown of General Michael Flynn. Flynn knew what the intel world had been up to. He ordered the first audit of the use of contractors. This set off alarm bells. He told the truth. He was the most dangerous person for Donald Trump to hire. They had to get rid of Flynn. Flynn, Deliver the Truth, Whatever the Cost. Available now. Watch it today. Go to SalemNow.com. SalemNow.com. Today on Cornerstone Connection with Pastor Gary Hamrick. I want to dispel a myth also related to the subject of confession. Because every once in a while, it's not often, but sometimes I've had people come to me and say, Why do you emphasize confession, Pastor Gary? They would say to me, when I got saved, I confessed my sins to Jesus, past, present, and future, my sins are forgiven. I don't need to keep confessing my sins to the Lord anymore. Now, whenever I hear that, here's what I instinctively think. I hope you're not married, because if you live that philosophy in your marriage, your marriage is doomed, my friend. This is Cornerstone Connection the radio ministry of Pastor Gary Hamrick of Cornerstone Chapel in Leesburg, Virginia. Pastor Gary is teaching through Nehemiah. Confession is one of the most important pillars of our Christian faith. Confession is one of the practices that Nehemiah proposed to rebuild in the lives of the Jewish people while they were rebuilding the walls of Jerusalem. We are told in the Bible that if we confess with our mouth what we believe in our heart, that Jesus Christ is Lord, we will be saved. Confession shouldn't stop once we get saved either. We should always be coming to the Lord in prayer, confessing our sin to Him so that He could cleanse our conscience. At the close of Pastor Gary's message today, I'll be sharing with you how you can get a copy of today's broadcast of Cornerstone Connection. Subscribe to the podcast or get in touch with us. But for now, let's join Pastor Gary in Nehemiah chapter 7 for part 2 of today's message titled, Building Up Our Spiritual Walls. Do you know that the main emotion that was expressed about what Jesus felt on his way to the cross was joy? How is that possible? The cross is a brutal thing. He's about ready to be crucified because joy is not dependent upon circumstances. Joy is dependent upon the relationship with our Father in heaven. And that's why in Hebrews 12, 2, it says, We fix our eyes on Jesus, the author and finisher of our faith, who for the joy set before him endured the cross, scorning its shame, and sat down at the right hand of the Father. It was joy in Jesus because he knew the Father's on the throne, the Father's in control, I'm in step with the will of the Father, and when we're in step with the will of the Father, there is great joy. It is not this giddy, inauthentic, you know, just kind of giggly thing, all right? That's not joy. Joy, for you note-takers, the basic definition of joy in Scripture, a calm delight. It is a calm delight in the Lord because you know that he's on the throne, and despite the circumstances, despite the situation, God is in control, and I can rest in him. That's joy. That's the calm delight that we experience in the Lord. And that's what happens here. They first devote themselves 
to the priority of the word. The word of God is read. Their hearts are moved. They experience the joy of the Lord. And that's what happens to us as well. We must make the word of God the priority in our lives. It will be the priority in our church ongoing. I encourage you to take that time to get along with the Lord on a regular basis. Sit at his feet. Study the Bible. Allow the word of the Lord to bring out the joy that is your strength by hearing, receiving, and applying the word of God. That's the first thing they did. Second thing that they did, the second discipline that they practiced here is the necessity of confession. I want you to go to chapter 9. I want you to see this with me. Second thing that they did was they started confessing their sins to the Lord. Chapter 9, first three verses. Look at verse 1. On the 24th day of the same month, the Israelites gathered together fasting and wearing sackcloth and having dust on their heads. Now that looks a little nasty. I'll explain that in a minute. It says, those of Israelite descent had separated themselves from all foreigners. They stood in their places and confessed their sins and the wickedness of their fathers. They stood where they were and read from the book of the law of the Lord their God for a quarter of the day and spent another quarter in confession and in worshiping the Lord their God. So notice this. The idea is confessing. Verse 2, they confessed their sins and the wickedness of their fathers. Verse 3, they spent a quarter of the day in confession and in worshiping the Lord their God. So it tells us that they're fasting. That's a good thing. All right, it's not like... We can't go without a meal every once in a while, friends, all right? I'm not judging you, I'm just saying. But fasting is also a good way to just kind of tune our spirit with the Lord because, again, we're denying the physical, we're focusing on the spiritual. Now, I get that some people, for medical reasons, you can't fast. But if you can, it is a good discipline to practice every once in a while because it just kind of puts aside the physical and tunes our spirit with the Lord. You know, every time that we eat a meal, we're fattening ourselves physically. The Puritans had this great expression for fasting. They called it soul fattening. Whenever you are spending that time with the Lord and just denying yourself physical food, you're fattening your soul. I like that. So here they are fasting. They are wearing sackcloth. Sackcloth is made out of goat hair. It was intentionally itchy and uncomfortable. They'd wear it. It's like wearing a burlap bag. Not classy and not comfortable. But they were going around wearing sackcloth because it was a reminder that the friction and the discomfort of their clothing, that they're in a period of mourning and grief. And that's also the part about throwing dust on their head. They throw dust and ashes on their face and on their head to look sullen and all pasty. They wanted everybody to, to be reminded and they wanted to remind themselves. They're in a period of mourning. Now, why are they mourning? Why are they grieving here? They're grieving and mourning over their sins and over the sins of their fathers. Notice again here, verse 2, middle of verse 2, it says that they stood in their places and confessed their sins and the wickedness of their fathers. Now, please note this with me. This does not mean that they were taking responsibility for their father's sins. They were acknowledging their father's sins, but they were not taking responsibility for their father's sins. And I, I need to address this because unfortunately I still hear this from time to time in some circles of Christianity where people have bought into this generational curse thing. All right? That's the idea that because of your father's sins, it's passed down to you. You're apt to repeat your father's or your mother's sins. You're doomed 
And, and, and that's part of the generational curse thing. It's one verse out of Exodus chapter 20 that's taken on a life of its own that was never intended. Okay, by the way, in Exodus 20, when it talks about the sins of the father to the third generation, in those days, three to four generations lived up under one roof. It's talking about the effect of the spiritual leader of the home affecting one family. You read the rest of the passage, it talks about, but the blessings of the Lord for a thousand generations. Jeremiah the prophet in Jeremiah chapter 31 rose up and spoke against the people for believing that you were doomed to repeat the sins of your father. Ezekiel comes along also in chapter 18 of Ezekiel. He says the same thing. In fact, let me read this to you. This is important to understand because they're confessing their sins and the sins of their fathers. But I don't want you to think that you're responsible for the sins of your mom and dad or that you're apt to repeat the sins of your mom and dad. I get that when we're exposed to certain environments... We may learn some bad habits, some bad sins, but as a curse, let me tell you something, friends. He whom the Son sets free is free indeed. And through Jesus Christ, you are free. All right? You are free. Don't shortchange the power and the glory of the Lord because you think that what your parents did, you're apt to repeat. You're new creatures in Christ. Don't diminish the cross. You stand and rejoice for who you are in Christ. Listen to what Ezekiel says in Ezekiel 18, verse 1. He says, The word of the Lord came to me. What do you people mean by quoting this proverb about the land of Israel? And here's the proverb. The fathers eat sour grapes, and the children's teeth are set on edge. Now, they were going around quoting this verse because what they were basically saying is, when dad eats sour grapes, the kids pucker. Because they were trying to say that when dad does something bad, well, the kids are apt to repeat it. All right? Listen, let me put it in modern terms. It would be as ridiculous as saying, if dad eats too much candy, his kids are going to get cavities. It doesn't work that way. Dad eats too much candy, dad gets cavities. The kids eat too much candy, the kids get cavities. But Ezekiel goes on to say in, in chapter 18, verse 3, as surely as I live, declares the sovereign Lord, you will no longer quote this proverb in Israel. Stop blaming your sins on the sins of your parents and stop thinking that you're apt to repeat them. He goes on to say, he says, for every living soul belongs to me, the father as well as the son, both alike belong to me. The soul who sins is the one who dies. So, then what are they doing here? By confessing their sins and the sins of their fathers. First of all, they're taking responsibility for their own personal sins against God. And what they're doing in the second part is they're acknowledging historically the offenses that their fathers committed against God. They're not taking responsibility for it, but they're recognizing that their forefathers have grieved the heart of God, and they're just acknowledging that. In the same way, from time to time, as I pray, from time to time, I will think about how the sin of abortion is a grievous sin in our country against the Lord. Now, I didn't contribute to it, and I'm not taking responsibility for it, but I'm going to acknowledge it. I'm going to recognize the sins of our fathers. The sins of our nation historically have been grievous to God. That's what they're doing here. They're taking responsibility for their own personal sins, and then they're recognizing historically the sins against the Lord. Now, I want to point something else out at this point because I want to, I want to dispel a myth also related to the subject of confession. Because every once in a while, it's not often, but sometimes I've had people come to me and say, why do you emphasize confession, Pastor Gary? They would say to me, when I got saved, I confessed my sins to Jesus. 
past, present, and future. My sins are forgiven. I don't need to keep confessing my sins to the Lord anymore. Now, whenever I hear that, here's what I instinctively think. I hope you're not married, because if you live that philosophy in your marriage, your marriage is doomed, my friend. If you think that you can say to your spouse early in the marriage, when you first get married, I love you, and think you don't need to say that again, you're mistaken. (laughs) And if you think that you can say early in your marriage, I'm sorry, and that it's supposed to cover every other offense in your marriage, and you never have to say I'm sorry again, (laughs) don't do that. Please don't do that. Don't do that. Listen, it's important for us to say, I love you and I'm sorry regularly. All right? Not that you have to get married all over again. You're just saying it to keep the relationship right. I remember when Terry and I were first married, first week of marriage, she comes to me and she says, "Um, I'm just kind of curious. How often do you think we should say, I love you to each other? Now, Every guy has had a moment where even if you don't know the Lord, you're thinking, sweet Jesus, what's the right answer here? (laughs) Oh, sweet Jesus, what is the right answer? How many of you men have had a sweet Jesus moment in your life? Let me me see. Now, some of you guys are even like, can I raise my hand? I'm not even sure. Sweet (laughs) Sweet Jesus, am I I allowed to raise my hand? All right, every guy's had a sweet Jesus moment. Like, what is the right answer here? All right? And so, you know, listen, my my answer was, well, babe, No matter how many times we say, I love you, it will never be enough. (laughs) Are you kidding me? I didn't say that. (laughs) Give me a break. I've been married one week just because I'm Pastor G and I don't have a Jesus answer to everything. (laughs) Are you kidding me? So she goes, how often should we say that we love each other? All right? I'm like, sweet Jesus, what's the right answer here? And then I, and this is what I, this is really what I said. I was like, um, how often do you think? <laughs> and she, she looked at me and she said, well, I think every day. And out loud, I said, every day? And then after I got out of the hospital, I, uh, I came to realize, listen, that's a good thing. And see, she, she's brought that out in me where now we are every day and more than once a day. I love you. I love you coming and going. But here's the deal. If we understand that our marriage, you don't just say it once and then you're done. Why do we think we can be one and done with God? Why do we think that one time we say, I confess all my sins and now I'm saved that I don't even have to ever confess anything again? We don't do that in our marriage. Why do we do that with God? I'm not saying you have to get saved all over again. I'm just simply saying, if you want to be in right standing and have a clear and clean conscience and a heart with God, why don't you want to say you're sorry before God? The important thing we need to realize about confession is, in Hebrew, the word is yada, Y-A-D-A. It is also the word that is used for worship in the Old Testament. In the New Testament, the word is homologeo. It means to say the same thing. When we confess our sins before the Lord, we're just agreeing with God about His standard of right and wrong. So that when I understand I have sinned against the Lord, I have offended Him, I just want to agree with Him and say the same thing that He says about my sinful condition. 
But if 1 John 1, 9 says that if we confess our sins, he is faithful and just to forgive us of our sins and cleanse us from all unrighteousness. And it tells me that my father stands ready with arms outstretched to receive me every single time I say that I'm sorry. Why wouldn't I want to run to him? Why wouldn't I want to run to him? Because he stands ready to receive me and to forgive me. So, not because I have to get saved all over again, but because I just want to have a clear and clean conscience before God. I just want to be right with him. We should regularly be confessing our sins before the Lord. David understood this in Psalm 32, 5. He said, Then I acknowledged my sin to you and did not cover up my iniquity. I said, I will confess my transgressions to the Lord, and you forgave the guilt of my sin. Selah. That is just a Hebrew word at the end of that verse that means ponder and think on that. He is a loving and gracious God, and he stands ready to forgive us of our sins, so why wouldn't I want to run to him? Now, the people recognize this about the character and nature of God. Because I want you to notice that as chapter 9 goes on, they're confessing their sins, they're getting right with the Lord. And look at verses 16 and 17 in chapter 9. Look at verse 16. It says, But they, our forefathers, became arrogant and stiff-necked and did not obey your commands. They refused to listen and failed to remember the miracles you performed among them. They became stiff-necked and in their rebellion appointed a leader in order to return to their slavery. Underline this. But you are a forgiving God, gracious and compassionate, slow to anger and abounding in love. That's who God is. And the next time you think to yourself, I can't, I can't confess again. The Lord's heard this over and over again or he wouldn't forgive me because I already said I was sorry and I've done this again and, and, and he must be mad at me, he must be angry with me. I, I, want you, I want you to turn right to this verse and I want you to read it because I want you to remember who he really is. You are a forgiving God, gracious and compassionate, slow to anger and abounding in love. That's our Father. It's important to confess. And it's important to remember we have a loving Father who stands ready to forgive every time we do. Number three on the list, their discipline was from chapter 10, the opportunity of giving. As I mentioned in chapter 10, the word give appears three times, tithe four times, offering six times, bring to the house of the Lord eight times. I want to read three verses from chapter 10. Look at verses 37, 38, and 39. Verse 37, Moreover, we will bring to the storerooms of the house of our God, to the priests, the first of our ground meal, of our grain offerings, of the fruit of all our trees, and of our new wine and oil. And we will bring a tithe of our crops to the Levites. A tithe just means tenth. For it is the Levites who collect the tithes in all the towns where we work. A priest descended from Aaron is to accompany the Levites when they receive the tithes, and the Levites are to bring a tenth of the tithes up to the house of our God, to the storerooms of the treasury. The people of Israel, including the Levites, are to bring their contributions of grain, new wine, and oil to the storerooms where the articles for the sanctuary are kept and where the ministering priests, the gatekeepers, and the singers stay. And then it concludes the whole thing with this. We will not neglect the house of our God. So they were taught and they practiced 
being generous. Why is giving a discipline of the faith? I'll tell you why. Because left to ourselves, our human nature instinctively is greedy and materialistic. When I said that in the previous service, a man over here said, word. <laughs> word. We by ourselves instinctively are greedy, materialistic people. In fact, check this out. Paul even said, 1 Timothy 6, verse 10, he said, Some people eager for money have shipwrecked their faith and have pierced themselves with many griefs. He says the potential for materialism is so real to, that it might, in fact, rob us of our relationship with the Lord. It's that severe. That's what he said. So what we need to recognize is that generosity is what our Father is all about. God is a giving God. John 1.12 says, for as many as received him, to them that believed on his name, he gave the right to become children of God. John 3.16, For God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten Son, that whosoever believes in him shall not perish but have everlasting life. In Galatians 2.20, Paul says, The life I live and the body I live by faith in the Son of God who loved me and gave himself for me. Ephesians 5.2, Christ loved us and gave himself up for us as a fragrant offering and sacrifice to God. 1 Corinthians 1.4, I always thank God for you because of his grace given you in Christ Jesus. James 1.5, if any of you lacks wisdom, he should ask God who gives generously to all without finding fault and it will be given to him. James 1.17, every good and perfect gift comes down from the Father of the heavenly lights who does not change like shifting shadows. God is a giver. He gives over and over and over again. And when we are giving and generous, we identify that we belong to our Father. Because being greedy and materialistic and hoarding and stinginess is the antithesis of who God is. If you want to look like your Father, you, be, you better be generous like your Father because he's a very generous God. I think you would agree with me that in our culture, we are increasingly becoming a consumer-oriented culture and an entitled-oriented culture. People are consumers, and they think they're entitled. This must not creep into the church. We must not have a consumer-oriented or entitled mentality. That'll kill a church. We don't come as consumers. We come as communers. We are communing with God. We are communing with one another. And let me, let me say something, that when we identify with the Lord in our lives, we turn this consumer-oriented mentality into how we can be giving and serving, just like our Father in heaven has modeled it for us. Now, I get when somebody first starts going to a church, they are kind of a consumer because they're kind of trying to draw everything in. They're trying to even discern if this is where God wants them to be, and I, and I get that. But after you've been at a church for a little while, you ought to be asking yourself, how can I give financially? How can I give of my time and serve? How can I help? How can I look for needs and meet those needs to give of myself in time, treasure, and talents to help others and to bless the Lord? Because in doing that, we will be just like our Father in heaven. And Paul said in, in 2 Corinthians 8, 7, he says, But just as you excel in everything, in faith, in speech, in knowledge, in complete earnestness, and in your love for us, see to it that you also excel in the grace of giving. So these three things, 
from chapters 8, 9, and 10. The priority of the word, the necessity of confession, the opportunity of giving, all of these translate into point number 24 in our ongoing list through Ezra and Nehemiah. We must continue to build up the spiritual walls of our lives. Amen. Nehemiah faced a daunting task of leading one of the waves of returning exiles and rebuilding the walls of Jerusalem. The work was hard and slow and filled with setbacks and struggles, including enemies who came up against them. The great thing about Nehemiah was that he wasn't a priest and he wasn't a Levite. In fact, he wasn't in professional ministry in any way. You may not be a pastor, but God can use your experience and willingness all the same. Who knows what amazing things he may have in store for you if you'll open yourself to his leading and step out in faith. You have a great journey awaiting you. Just ask God to open your eyes to his plan. We'd love to pray for you along this journey, too. Are you facing a difficult situation? Call us and share your prayer requests at 703-771-1500. To hear more great messages from Pastor Gary Hamrick, look us up online at cornerstoneconnection.cc or subscribe to our podcast. You can also take Cornerstone Connection with you on our mobile app to listen to whenever and wherever you are. That's it for today. We pray you continue to seek God in your everyday experiences and that you feel His presence in your life today. Be sure to tune in again for another exciting edition of Cornerstone Connection. They say you're a wandering soul That you've got no place to go But still you know You're not a Star General Michael J. Flynn, head of the Pentagon Intelligence Agency, knew all the government's dirty secrets. He was one of the most respected generals in the military. Flynn knew what the intel world had been up to. He understood its funding. He ordered the first audit of the use of contractors. This set off alarm bells. The explosive new documentary, Flynn, deliver the truth, whatever the cost, and covers the facts behind this scandal. Flynn told the truth. He was the most dangerous person for Donald Trump to hire. I find out the worst enemy that I'm going to face in my life is right here in America. They took my assessment and they wanted me to change it. I was like, I'm not changing it. They had to get rid of Flynn. With in-depth interviews, archival footage, and never-before-seen personal record to the man behind the headlines. I just felt like I was drowning. Flynn. Deliver the truth, whatever the cost. Available now. Watch it today. Go to salemnow.com. salemnow.com.